proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts and the hot one, Cindy Franklin. <laughs> Is that our new thing? Yeah. And I'm Chris Franklin. In this episode, we're doing our final pregame show before the season one finale of JLU. We'll be talking about the Batman Beyond episode, The Call, that finally introduced the Justice League to the DCAU and gave us the term Justice League Unlimited. We've mentioned Batman Beyond in the previous two episodes, but we've never covered it. So here is a brief backstory on the series and its development. And it's actually brief for once. Uh, huh. Yeah. Uh, Batman Beyond, or Batman of the Future, as it was known in other countries, I think in every other country, that's the only, it was only known as Batman Beyond here, huh. so, was a series Jamie Kellner, the president of WB Network, pitched to the DCAU team. Certain that kids were feeling the animated Batman had grown somewhat stale, the suit thought they would be more interested in a teenage Batman. Buffy the Vampire Slayer was the network's biggest hit, and despite it not being aimed at kids, WB wanted a Batman show like that. When the showrunners of the then-running new Batman-Superman adventures, namely producers Bruce Timm, Alan Burnett, and Paul Dini, heard of this, they scoffed. Fearing the worst, they wanted nothing to do with a reimagined teenage Batman. But they realized WB was going to go through with this anyway, and they didn't want their years of hard work flushed away with something awful produced by outside creators. Producer Glenn Murakimi was excited about the idea, and his enthusiasm sold the rest of them. So they sat down and developed a series set 50 years or so in the future beyond the new Batman adventures revolving around a teenager who stumbles upon the secrets of Bruce Wayne. Seeking justice for his slain father, Terry McGinnis, dons the updated, teched-out bat suit, and with the man-in-the-chair guidance from an aged and grizzled Bruce Wayne, he sets out to become a new Dark Knight for a new era in Neo-Gotham. Batman Beyond premiered January 10, 1999 on the Kids WB Network with the two-part Rebirth and ran for three seasons. Its last new episode for Kids WB, Countdown, aired on April 7, 2001. One final episode of the series, Unmasked, debuted when the show moved to Cartoon Network. That last episode aired December 18, 2001. You'll note that's almost exactly a month after the debut of Justice League, also on Cartoon Network. A direct-to-home media film based on the series was also released on December 12, 2000. Batman Beyond Return of the Joker was mired in early internet controversy since it was leaked out through online resources that the cut WB release was heavily censored with scenes deleted and redone in animation to lessen the level of violence and somewhat lighten the dark story material, achieving the desired PG rating. Due to fan demand, an uncut version was released April 23, 2001. Despite being designed to appeal more to kids, Batman Beyond is overall a much darker and somewhat cynical show than the either BTAS or TNBA, the new Batman Adventures. Gotham is less grimy, but it seems the whole city has been swallowed up by corporations run by even seedier people, which gives the whole show a somewhat oppressive feel. Terry deals with real problems teenagers struggle with and is constantly trying to balance his life as Batman with school, girlfriend, etc. It's definitely more of a Spider-Man-like approach. Yes. Okay, so let's jump into our episode we're going to cover today. Batman Beyond The Call, which was from Season 3 of Batman Beyond, Parts 1 and 2. Original air dates November 11th and 18th, 2000. The story was by Alan Burnett and Paul Dini, so we're in good hands there. Part 1 teleplay by our friend Rich Fogel, yay, and Hilary J. Bader. Part 2 teleplay by Stan Berkowitz. Both episodes were directed by Butch Lukic with music by Christopher Carter. In our cast, we had Will Friedle as Terry McGinnis slash Batman, Kevin Conroy as Bruce Wayne, Christopher McDonald as Superman, 
Farrah Fork as Barda, Peter Honorati as Warhawk, Jody Benson as Aquagirl, Wayne Brady as Micron, Lauren Tom as Green Lantern, Shannon Kenny as Ink, Tim Dang as the Driver, and Jeff Einbinder as Father. In Part 1, Justice League Unlimited member Micron is severely injured during a rescue mission that mysteriously goes wrong. Meanwhile, new Batman Terry McGinnis tracks his old foe, Ink, after she robs a military installation. Batman receives help apprehending her from none other than Superman. Terry takes Superman back to the Batcave where he is reunited with his old and bitter friend, Bruce Wayne. Superman has come to Gotham to ask Batman to join the Justice League. At the Metropolis Watchtower, Superman reveals to Batman that he suspects that a traitor may be among the League's members. He wants Batman to spy on the members and flush the traitor out. Batman fears this won't make him very popular among the new teammates, but they don't seem too happy with him being forced on them anyway, especially Barda and Warhawk. The young Green Lantern and Aquagirl are a bit more gracious. During training exercises, Batman saves Aquagirl from sabotage on her simulator. Later, he responds with the League when Metropolis comes under firebomb attacks. When a missile is launched at the city, Warhawk tries to turn it around, only to seemingly perish when it explodes. Back in the Batcave, Terry and Bruce examine the footage from the Batmobile's cameras and see that the missile was detonated by a beam, and they follow that beam back to its source, Superman. Now knowing who the traitor is, Bruce gives Terry the one weapon that can bring the Man of Steel down, Kryptonite. This isn't the first time Superman's gone rogue, so I made sure I'd be ready if it ever happened again. I always hoped I'd never have to use it. Kryptonite. This... This could kill him, right? Do whatever it takes, but make sure you stop him. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, that was quite a whew, quite an ending. Uh, this episode came about because fans had been clamoring for some kind of Justice League in the DC animated universe as far back as Batman the Animated Series. Once Grant Morrison's revival of JLA in the comics became a big hit in 1996, there was even more demand. Uh, Bruce Timm and crew had been trying to develop a Batman Beyond episode with Superman, but Paul Dini pitched the idea of doing the Justice League on Batman Beyond. And Bruce Timm was extremely hesitant to do a Justice League show or series, but with Batman Beyond winding down production, he thought it might be a worthwhile experiment to see how difficult it would be to juggle so many superpowered characters in one storyline. So they decided to do a Justice League episode of Batman Beyond, despite never referencing the existence of the League in the series or any previous DCAU show. Now, can we start just by saying how awesome the Batman Beyond intro is? I know. I, know. I mean, it, it, the music tells you this isn't your father's Batman, but it's sincere in its edginess because they actually back it up. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, and, and it was kind of funny. I read that in uh, the Modern Masters book, uh, there, there's a Bruce Tim volume uh, by Eric Nolan Weatherton. We've we've mentioned that uh, book several times through the course of uh, JLU Cast. It's a really great book. But uh, he talks to Bruce Tim about he Bruce Tim wasn't sure that Shirley Walker and her crew that became the Justice League composers, you know, Lolita Ritmanis, Chris Carter, Michael McQuiston, that they were they were they were too orchestral for what they were trying to do with Batman Beyond. Right and. And she said, oh, well, what are you trying to, you know, what what do you kind of like? He said, well, we're on it really, like, edgy and grungy and, you know, like, punk and hard rock and lots of guitars. And he gave her, like, um, you know, like, like uh, CDs or tapes of, like, current artists, like Nine Inch Nails and 
and and and and acts like that that were big in the late 90s and she came back with music from each one of the composers and he loved it and in fact um chris carter's music became the theme to batman beyond okay so it was it was like so they ended up going with the dynamic and now they're called dynamic music partners but they ended up going with you know with that group still because he thought he, he just kind of gave her a heads up look we might have to go with somebody else for this because right. we're looking for a different sound but they were able to do it so <laughs> and nailed it and nailed it yeah yeah uh darwin cook actually was instrumental in the opening of this he worked on it with tim very closely uh, director Kurt Gita and storyboard artist Adam Van Wick also contributed. There's a lot of mixed media in the opening with sculptures of old Bruce and Terry and pans around, apparently using a lazy Susan. I mean, yeah. it was they didn't have a lot of the animation back yet, so part of this was out of necessity. But it, it really did end up announcing how different this show was mm. than the other DCAU shows. Uh, we start off with a family wowed by the Justice League Watchtower in the heart of Metropolis. And now keep in mind, this is easy to forget, this is all before Justice League ever debuted. Right. So right. it's it's kind of weird that, you know, and, 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 and it's it's kind of weird how this, they do a pretty good job of, this episode does hold up within the continuity of the, of the Justice League pretty well, which we'll get into. Uh, the Watchtower name, uh, I think we've mentioned that way back, but that was created by Grant Morrison during his JLA run with Howard Porter that we mentioned earlier. It's quite a bit more elegant than Justice League Satellite. You know, it gives right. it kind of a cool name. Uh, we then meet Micron, who is in a danger room type training area inside. And Micron is a future version of the Atom, who, of course, we haven't met yet and won't until Justice League Unlimited. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> Um, Micron is voiced by Wayne Brady, probably still best known for decades of improv on Whose Line Is It Anyway, but also one of the funniest sketches ever on Chappelle's show. Naughty. <laughs> I'm not, not going to say it. No, I'm you're not. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> but if you've never seen that sketch, he plays against his very family-friendly, you know, yeah. uh, persona in that sketch. <laughs> with the, the very edgy Dave Chappelle who's scared to death of him by the end of the sketch. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Micron leaps over a cup that says JLU and the distress call specifically calls the team both Justice League Unlimited and JLU. This is our introduction to the term and the idea of Justice League Unlimited. Uh-huh. So, you know, the when they changed the name of Justice League to Justice League Unlimited, it was a callback to this. Although, based on what we see in this one, the team seems kind of limited. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not nearly as unlimited as the true Justice League Unlimited, unless there's just a bunch of uh, heroes that don't respond to, or off on other missions or something. Um, oddly enough, uh, one of the, the distress call is there's a, a runaway elevated train. Uh-huh. Uh, and oddly enough, in one of the Adams' few Super Friends appearances, he helped stop a runaway train. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if that was... Uh, Intentional or not. Uh, something in the back of Paul Dini and Alan Burnett's mind or, or one of the, you know, rich or somebody. I, I don't know. But Micron can grow as well, so he's really a bit more like Ant-Man, Giant-Man than the Atom. Uh-huh. Uh, Tim and company like to liberally mix Marvel in with similar characters, hence they're very Namor-like Aquaman. Yes. You know. Was Micron's plan to steer the train off into the building? I, that's what I was trying to... I'm like, um, dude, there might be people in that building that you're aiming towards. I, I, I mean, I was very confused. I, I mean, he, he shows him, like, he gets in there and he, like, 
there's another train coming at right. Like they're, 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 you know, the train shouldn't be. He gets he gets the driver out. He he you know he he grows and jumps out so he lands and he puts the driver down and the conductor whatever and he gets back in it's empty doesn't have any passengers yeah he the conductor tells us that yeah and but so there's no passengers on board thank goodness or they'd all be dead uh but then he he's going to steer it into a building to keep it from hitting the other train which i assume is full of passengers right but like you said uh it it looks kind of like a car garage but it, it might, it, it, I don't see any cars, but what what is this building and why is it empty? You know? Right. And then, you know, if you're taking it through there, the structural integrity, it could topple onto the building next to it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we see a force field keeps him from escaping and he's like, you know, he calls out a force field and then it crashes and yeah. he's injured. And, you know, so we're, we're setting up that something wasn't quite right because that shouldn't have happened. There shouldn't be a force field on a on a uh, <laughs> elevated train in the middle of downtown Metropolis, even in the future. Uh, we then jump to Gotham City and Batman Beyond. Now, I will... Batman, when we refer to Batman in this episode, we're talking about Terry. Bruce is Bruce, but Batman is Terry. Okay. And because, you know, I don't want to call him Terry unless he's out of his costume, which he really isn't other than being unmasked in, right. in these episodes a few times. Uh, so I know it's confusing to not to refer to Batman and it not be Bruce Wayne. But when we get to uh, when we get to our season finale, we'll have to figure out how we're going to do that because uh-huh. that's going to be real confusing. I'll, I'll probably call Bruce, old Bruce, Bruce, young Bruce, Batman, and new Batman Terry. I'll probably just do that. Spoilers! <laughs> Spoilers! Spoiler alert! Yeah, uh, but we jump to Gotham, and Batman is chasing one of his recurring foes, Ink, who has just stole a top secret government MacGuffin. From a military facility. You don't need to know what it is. It's just, you know, the, you know, military, top military secret that doesn't need to get into enemy hands du jour, you know. Uh, we did a tribute to Kevin Conroy last episode. Let's talk a bit about Will Friedle, who voices Terry McGinnis. In live action, Friedle is best known as older brother Eric Matthews on the 90s TGI Friday comedy Boy Meets World. And he reprised that role on the follow-up Girl Meets World a few years ago. Wasn't he like the governor or the mayor or something? Yeah, I, think I mean... It was like crazy that they make... Because he's famously not smart. But the thing <laughs> is... What they did in their uh, future episodes, they all had the roles that they were in the old series. Oh. Okay, that was the voice of our son Andrew, if you heard it. So, <laughs> But what it is, is, I mean, the whole point about it is on that show... Eric, his kindness was the driver of his personality, and that's the reason he was, you know, he was like a senator or, you know, something because of his kindness. Yeah, yeah, I I get it. It makes sense. But it it was, um, it's kind of, it was, Eric was one of those characters. Then when he first started, the the show first started, he was a little, a little, you know, the typical kind of older, you know, not, I don't remember if he was a jock, but he was like, you know, the yeah. the popular, older, not real smart brother. But then he became like really not like smart. cartoony Homer Simpson type, you know, not yeah. smart as the show went on, which typical of sitcoms that, you know, the characters become caricatures of themselves as the years go on. So uh, in addition to Batman Beyond, Fidel voiced Kyle Rayner on Justice League Unlimited, Blue Beetle, Jaime Reyes on Batman the Brave and the Bold. Nightwing in the Batman Unlimited series based on the Mattel toy line, uh, which they were like little videos and things. You can find them all on on the on the DC YouTube channel, and I think they're out actually on HBO Max. Some of them, 
Uh, fans of Disney Channel shows remember his memorable run as Kim Possible's hapless sidekick, Ron Stoppel. Yes. So he is a he is one of the kings of voiceovers nowadays. Uh, seeing Superman disguised in a raincoat, uh, he's you know basically watching Terry fight Ink at first. It reminds me of Bruce Willis in Unbreakable. Yeah. But that film debuted three days after this episode first aired. So there you go. So there's no homage. It was just a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. Batman takes down Ink's ship. They fight, and she tries to take the guy in the raincoat hostage until he spins at super speed and splatters her all over the place. Yep. <laughs> Don't be none of that. Yeah. Uh, there's a nice slow version of the Superman, the animated series theme, as he turns around for the big reveal. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll hear that theme again later. It's just a very, yeah. Very effectively. Superman is voiced here by Christopher McDonnell, who voiced Jor-El on Superman the Animated Series and would reprise the role on Justice League Unlimited. Apparently, Tim Daly was available, but Tim and company wanted an older, gravelly-sounder Superman, and since McDonnell had played his dad, they figured that, you know, Superman might sound more like his dad as he gets older. Right. So I thought that was kind of neat. Apparently, Jor-El is, this is according to IMDb, which it might be wrong, but apparently Jor-El is McDonald's favorite role because he's a big Superman fan. Oh, well, there you go. Maybe he wasn't real crazy about this when he played Superman, but well, he liked being... He, he turned out to be a bad guy. Yeah. Spoiler. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we already said it. Never mind. Uh, McDonald is probably best known to nerds as Lieutenant Castillo in the excellent Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Yesterday's Enterprise. He'd probably rather be known for Thelma and Louise or Quiz Show... But it'll always be Shooter McGavin from Happy Gilmore to me. <laughs> <laughs> but he, yeah, he is still gets. You see him on everything. He's a character actor who gets. He's a good, great character actor. Gets a lot of work. Yeah, you, you see him pop up and everything. Yeah. So, what did you think of Future Superman's design? I thought. I mean, it, to me, it makes sense. I mean, that black and white, and you know, there's no cape. It's just you know, yeah, no mode, capes, darling. <laughs> say, in the mode, finally got to him. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I like that they incorporate, um, you know, some of the the Kryptonian elements from the Superman the animated series, right. like the panels on his shoulder and his arm, and and things like that. Um, I, I kind of wonder, you know, the stylized S is reminiscent of Kingdom Come, but not a direct lift of it. So I like that um, the black and white look. I wonder if that's kind of it's kind of recalls the black and silver of the recovery suit from. Mm. The reign of the Superman, right. you know, which of course is then moving. And he's got the salt and pepper hair. He's got the salt and pepper hair, like the Kingdom Come or yeah. the Earth Two Superman. You know, he's got the 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 t- white temples. So yeah, and you know, of course, eventually in the Snyder cut of Justice League, Henry Cavill wore the black and silver yeah. suit. So, and of course, for our purposes, Justice Lord Superman will, you know, rock the black and white look as yeah. well. With pretty similar look, just with the addition of the cape right. still being there. Yeah. Uh, looks like some of Superman's more mature facial design will be utilized for Justice League Season 1. Much to the ires of fan everywhere who complained he looked old and tired. <laughs> and so then that's why he got a redesign in Season 2 and on into Justice League Unlimited. Um, I gotta say... We we noticed this while we were watching it, and Andrew, who we heard earlier, really pointed this out. The animation in this one looks rough. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's a result of a digital cleanup revealing too much, but most of the blacks are just dark grays, and you can see darker outlines you aren't meant to see, especially around Batman's mouth. It, right. it almost makes him look like he has the traditional Batman cowl, you know, with mm-hmm. the exposed lower face, all, yeah. even though it's still all... Well, it's gray, not black, but it's, you know, it 
it, it's it like the the seams are showing on on this one. Yeah, and I I don't recall thinking that before. I know. It's, I think it's just a cleanup. Yeah, we. I know they they did. You know what they've shown on HBO Max, and, and remind me to talk about HBO Max later. Um, I don't think I put that in the notes, but we need to talk about that at the end of the show. But um, they, uh, I think they've put the cleaned up versions out there, and yeah, it's like maybe cleaned it up a little too much. Mm. So Batman Terry takes Superman back to the Batcave, and he's looking around, and he actually stops and looks at the classic Batman costume, uh-huh. which I thought was kind of nice. You know, I never thought it's kind of weird that there's no place in the case for the original uh, Batman the Animated Series look in the case. Yeah. Or even the the one like he wore in Mask of the Phantasm and Robin's Reckoning either. Right. So it's kind of weird that there's they're not in there, but I never thought about that before, but anyway. Uh, it's telling that Terry is unmasked in front of Superman. It shows how much trust he has in him because he's Superman. Right. I mean, he knows Bruce, he knows that Superman knew that Bruce was Batman, but he doesn't necessarily have to know that Terry's the new Batman. Right. But Terry's just like, oh, hey, it's Superman. I'll take my mask down. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I thought that was kind of interesting. I never really thought about it before till doing this episode. Superman extends his hand for a handshake to Bruce, and Bruce says, it's been a while. So do you think Bruce is just bitter that the superpowered members of the League could continue when he couldn't, or is there something else going on there? I think something happened. think you so? You know, I mean, I think it was just one of those things that there's there's some adventures that, you know, Batman didn't agree with, and mm. I think that's what's going on there. Mm. Yeah. Well, we'll come to a point in season two of Justice League where Batman didn't agree with him, and the series almost went off in a totally different direction for a while. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, they seem less chummy than we when we left them in JLU. Uh-huh. Um, of course, this was before JLU, and we were in the post-crisis begrudging allies phase of the relationship in the comics, which, of course, influenced their dynamic on Superman, the animated series, and the new Batman adventures. Although, they, you know, they had started to get a little closer, but, you know, it, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of where they were at that point. Uh, Superman compliments Bruce on looking well, and he responds, I could use some of that Kryptonian DNA. Yeah, (laughs) because Superman has aged, but nothing like, you know, like, you know, Batman, excuse me, Bruce is looking like he's probably about 85-ish. Yeah. And whereas Superman is looking like he's maybe 50. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bruce does give Superman a little smirk when he says he'll outlive everyone because he's too stubborn to die. (laughs) (laughs) Terry is apparently fanboying over the world's finest reunion, and Bruce calls him on it. What are you smiling at? (laughs) (laughs) Superman reveals he's there to offer Terry membership in the Justice League. Bruce tells him it's not his decision to make, and Terry just says, The Justice League. Yeah. Uh, It's weird that the League is such a huge deal because, A, we've never heard anyone mention it on Batman Beyond. No. We're We're in the last season, and B, it was never a thing in the existing DCAU shows prior. Now it makes total sense when right, you watch this. Right, right. But, but when you first watch this, you're like, well, they never mentioned the Justice League. I mean, other there, there were other, you know, the DC Adventures comics based on the animated series. They had, you know, done, like, they. I think they had already done Adventures in the DC Universe comics. So there was a Justice League. and But, the, you know, that, again, just like Star Trek novels, if it's not on screen, it doesn't count, you know. So, and, uh, but, so it wasn't really a thing yet. Superman takes Batman to the Watchtower, and the other leaguers aren't too happy that Superman just recruited a new guy without asking them first. 
Yeah. It reminds me of the first, um, when Superman brought Firestorm into the Justice League. It really wasn't like this in the comic, but on the cover, you know, Superman's basically like, this guy's joining the Justice League whether you like it or not, and all the other heroes look like they're getting ready to fight about it. It doesn't happen in the comic. Right. But it kind of reminds me of that. <laughs> um, in the League, we have Barda, never called Big Barda here. Did you notice that? Yeah. Yeah. So she, she shrunk some in the future? I don't know. No, I mean, there's no reason to call her, you know. I know, I'm just kidding. She had appeared before in a non-speaking cameo in Superman the Animated Series Apocalypse Now when all the new gods showed up at the end to basically tell Darkseid, you know, well, they're like, you know, well, Orion tells him, you know, Earth's under the protection of New Genesis. If you attack Earth and you're starting war with us, back off. And then then kills Turpin and leaves. Uh, But, (laughs) gut punch. Uh, But uh, she didn't say anything there. Here she's voiced by Farrah Fork who will voice her again on Justice League Unlimited, and who appeared on Wings with Tim Daly, who's not here, uh, and was the love interest for Dean Cain's Clark Kent briefly on Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Right. Uh, she sadly passed away last year oh. as well. Yeah, she she died young. She was only in her 50s. Oh. Yeah, I really liked her. And in fact, in some ways, I felt really bad for her on Lois and Clark because she was like a really nice character and like... Lois was kind of a pain in the neck. Yeah, especially <laughs> so, that first that season. first few seasons. I mean, yeah. you know, especially to Clark at times. It's like, I know you want Lois. I mean, I liked Terry Hatcher. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, it's like, come on, you know. Uh, Tim and company wanted to use Wonder Woman here, but her rights were apparently tangled up elsewhere. Huh. Maybe still with whoever was producing that unsold Wonder Woman in the Star Rider series. I don't know. Oh. That's something we should talk about one of these days. Hey, I have the comic. I know. You've got the one piece of merchandise that made out the yeah. cinnamon mini bun comic or whatever yeah. <laughs> whatever it was that came well, out. Well, and somebody didn't know what they had. I got that on eBay, and like I got it for, like I think, maybe $15, yeah. something like because they had it uh, mislabeled. Yeah. And that normally that comic goes for, I mean, it's up there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, yeah, and it's the only thing that made it out with that... Uh, if you guys don't know, Wonder Woman and the Star Riders was a proposed Wonder Woman toy line that was very much similar to She-Ra, She-Ra Princess yeah. of Power, oh, yeah. the toy line. And there was an animated series in development. There was a pilot made, or at least part of a pilot made, but uh, it uh, it never came to fruition. Uh, Barda never appears in her iconic armor, just her casual bikini look. And it's got a bit more fabric than we usually see in the comic and we'll later see on Justice League Unlimited. Uh-huh. They kind of sanitized it a little bit. I don't really know why they didn't put her in the, the armor. Right. But yeah. I mean, I could understand maybe when they were at home, quote unquote, in training, but when they went out in the field, why didn't she have her stuff on? I don't know. Maybe they just thought it was too hard to animate or something. It's pretty. It's a pretty intricate design, obviously. Well, yeah, true. Uh, next in line to Hayes Terry is Warhawk, a new character created for the show to obviously be a Hawkman analog. Maybe DC wouldn't let them use Hawkman at the time because not even Grant Morrison was allowed to touch him in JLA after all the retcons had made the character radioactive. Yeah. It wasn't until Jeff Johns figured out how to bring him back in JSA that they finally straightened Hawkman out. Well, I shouldn't say finally. They've since muddled the water again. So, but, you know, well, uh, we don't learn his real name or background, but come back next episode for that. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Warhawk is voiced by Peter Adorati, who is best known for the modern version of SWAT, Goodfellas, and he voiced Wanna Beast on JLU's This Little Piggy. He will be back as Warhawk in our next episode, too. Uh-huh. Yes. 
Uh, Superman tells him Batman was one of the League's founding members. Of course, we know he is, but it's really interesting to see them laying groundwork for something Bruce Timm was very hesitant to do. Yeah. I mean, I guess they were just going by the old comics that Batman was a founding member of the Justice League, and he, of course, retcons and this and that. Sometimes he was, sometimes he wasn't. It just depends on who was writing the story that week. Yeah, right, but as published in, you know, Raven the Bold number 28, him and Superman were less active, but founding members. We then meet perhaps the most surprising new character, a Green Lantern who is a young Asian child. He constantly floats in an almost Buddha-like position. See, I wonder if he wasn't from, you know, it made me think like a Mork from Ork kind of thing where they age backwards, and so maybe that's why he was he was old, but he looked young. I, I, I just don't know if he is a Earth an Earth person, yeah. or if he came from another planet. That's what I kind of thought. I've seen some people like to think that he's from Nanda Parabat, where Dead Man, you know, with the we oh, see yeah. that in the Justice League season three episode right. with Dead Man, that he's from that uh, culture, where I just, they're very zen and you know peaceful, and that's in because he's so at peace with himself. That's how he's able to you know become worthy of the Green Lantern ring, you know. See, I just kind of think, I mean, I kind of thought maybe it was, you know, and I know referencing Mork for Mork, but, you know. Yeah. Maybe. Well, maybe, or, you know, and, and um, you know, we'll see that character again. Yeah. You know, not, yeah. not, not in, I don't, I don't think, I don't, I think we see that character at the, at, in the end of season two, I think, is when we see him next. Uh, Green Lantern is voiced by Lauren Tom, who voices Terry's long-suffering girlfriend, Dana, on Batman Beyond. She has tons of on-screen credits like Friends, The Joy Luck Club, and Andy Mack, but is probably best known as the voice of Amy on Futurama. She'll voice Dr. Light on Justice League Unlimited and Gizmo and Jinx on Teen Titans. Oh, okay. Yeah, so now you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that makes all that... Oh, that is the same voice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Aquagirl is the most welcoming of the leaguers, and we learn she's the daughter of Aquaman, but she looks a lot like Dolphin uh-huh. and not Mira, but in a special feature... That was on one of the DVDs. Paul Dini says she's the daughter of Aquaman and Mira. So I take that as canon. Okay. She's intended to be their daughter, even though she looks a lot like Dolphin. Uh, Aquagirl's casting is a real ringer. It's none other than Jody Benson, the voice of Disney's Little Mermaid, Ariel. Ah. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now that's typecasting. Also the voice of Barbie in the Toy Story films. Oh, okay. And you know who her kin was. Michael Keaton. That's right. <laughs> Tying it all back to Batman. Uh, so what do we think about this league roster? I mean, like I said, I still think that Green Lantern, I think he is not from Earth. That, okay. That's my thought on it. Well, maybe. But what do you think about this team? I mean, what do you, what do you think overall of this, this Justice League team? Well, I mean, you've got two people that, you know, are more warlike with Barda and Warhawk, and then two people that are zen-like with Aquagirl and Green Lantern, and then... Traditionally, Superman would be the linchpin that holds those two sides together. Yeah, that's good. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I, I like Warhawk's design. I was never crazy about the kid Green Lantern, but that was just because Green Lantern hadn't had any love outside of the Kyle Rayner appearance on Superman the Animated Series up to this point. So I kind of wanted to see somebody, another Green Lantern, show up that we already yeah. knew. I'd rather have seen John or Cal or some, you know, somebody. You know, but, you know, I ended up, because we've got so many Green Lanterns later, and now it doesn't bother me at all. Uh, Aquagirl is fine, but re- re-watching this, I don't care for Barda's design as much here. Uh, Bruce Tim is a big fan of Barda and draws her far be- better elsewhere. 
Maybe it's just the animation interpreting his design in this one. I think she looks a lot better on JLU. Okay. And then and that way we get both looks too. We get the bikini and the the armor. Right. So I just, you know, personally, but uh, it's funny. Warhawks is just stay out of my way, Junior. Hawks eat rodents like you for breakfast. Oddly enough, that is similar to my favorite line from Happy Gilmore, spoken by Christopher McDonald, where he tells Adam Sandler's Happy Gilmore, I eat shit like you for breakfast. <laughs> and Adam Sandler says, You eat shit for breakfast? Christopher. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. I mean, he was telling me this. I mean, he was giggling when he told me. Hey, I had to point that out. I know, I know. It's I know. It's oh, it's Adam Sandler. It's just like, I don't care. I think those his early movies were funny. I don't. I don't give a crap if you think I'm stupid for liking him. I don't care. So, <laughs> if Superman had told Bruce he wanted Terry to spy on the league, do you think he'd argued for him to to not join or encouraged him to join? I mean, it, it just, I guess it depends on how paranoid you like your Batman. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know how he would have felt about it, it, one way or the other. But he didn't, obviously, he wasn't, didn't come clean to, he waited until Terry was in the Watchtower. It's like, oh, yeah, I really just brought you here to spy on the Justice League, which we'll get into all that later, while, how, if that makes sense or not. I don't know. Uh, we do see Barda in her armor and Mr. Miracle when Batman is looking over a file. Uh-huh. So... When we see Aquaman in his daughter's profile, it's the clean-shaven version we met on Superman the Animated Series. So clearly they didn't know they'd ever go with the hook-hand version. Not at that point, no. Yeah, savage Aquaman, yeah. Uh, she, does, she does tell Batman to call her Marina, so we find out her name, so that's nice. Um, I couldn't help it that that was a little bit too on the nose, because, you know, a boat's park in a marina. Yeah. And I was like, mm. <laughs> That's a little... Folks, <laughs> they do seem a little flirty, you know, too. So, yeah, it's kind of, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, she obviously has a brother in the DC continuity because they had a son. And that's who Aquaman cut his hand off to say. Four, yeah. So, you know, they have, or, you know, hopefully, hopefully he survived, unlike his comic book, you know, Earth One counterpart. Uh, Batman watches the, the Justice League train Well, Green Lantern is meditating. And tells Bruce he can't spy on them. He's he says he's considered them heroes my whole life. So it's interesting we're in season three, and like I said, they're his heroes, but never mentioned them before. Yeah, even though he got into the superhero business, you know. So I, I guess the temperature in Aqua Girl's tank was turned up to boiling. Is that what was going on? Yeah, I because think so. Batman touches it and his hand starts steaming. They don't really explain. What's going on there very well. I mean, a gauge showing temperature in the red was all we needed. Yeah. Really. I mean, they showed the control. But I think, I mean, I think it was, it was shown well enough. I mean, I, you know, you knew what was going on. The I will see. I didn't, on. I didn't think it was all like clear. If it wasn't for Batman's hand, I wouldn't have known, you know, what was going on. But, you know, uh, Batman tries to blow the door open, but can't. So he goes and steals Barda's mega rod. That's never a good idea. No. Don't no. steal anything from a female fury. You know, that just, no. <laughs> just don't. Uh, so if the water's boiling, though, when he blasts the wall and releases it, wouldn't Terry be severely scalded? That's what I thought, too. <laughs> even, and I mean, there, even through the it's a seat. huge tank. Yeah. Where'd all the water go? Because there's just really a small amount there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, there must be some drainage things on the, you know, drains on the outside. But uh, they make a big deal about why didn't you call us on the intercom? But would you call someone who made it apparent they hated you for no fault of well, your own? Well, and did they even give him... 
a tour to say, hey, here's the intercoms if you need to call us. You know, I'm I didn't even Superman. know where stuff was. I'm guessing Superman did at least. But yeah, yeah. But I, I wouldn't have called him after the way they treated him. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't have called him for help. That's, you know. Um, and Superman and him and Batman find the... Uh, that a fused micro circuit is to blame for the for the uh, the mishap, uh, and Andrew pointed out uh, like you know who who has the power to fuse things. You and know? Andrew even went, hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the Watchtower looks a bit like the Legion of Superheroes Clubhouse, or one version of it. Uh, when we we've seen it, you know, it's it's actually the doors around the entrance kind of look a little like the Hall of Justice. I think that might be a slight nod to the Super Friends, but. Uh, Terry calls Bruce, and it shows him working on the original animated series Batmobile. Well, not the original we saw in a flashback in the mechanic, but the standard Batman the animated series right. Batmobile. Uh, the shots of the Justice League dramatically flying in to save the day when they respond to the the firebombs, that would be reworked with present-day characters for the Justice League pilot film that Tim and company developed to pitch the series. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you see that on the special features. They actually ended up not even having to use it. They got greenlit without ever even showing it to anybody. But they, you know, that's the one where they were going to briefly have Impulse and, like, a female cyborg. Oh, and yeah. And Tim Drake's Robin. And, yeah, so, yeah. But uh, it was going to have, they were going to have, like, they were going to go the Super Friends route with, like, training young heroes, but they were actually real characters, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no Wendy and Marvin, thank God. Uh, <laughs> um, the idea that Superman caused all this destruction when you watch it, even under the influence of another alien mind, is disturbing. Because there's a ton of damage and carnage, and I can't believe no one died from this. You don't know if they didn't. Well, that's what I'm saying. I can't yeah. believe that, they, that, that there were no fatalities here. It just, yeah... Uh, when Superman scans the city for more firebombs, his eyes are glowing red, not blue as they would with X-ray vision. So, hmm. Mm, I hadn't caught that. Yeah. Uh, and Green Lantern, this Green Lantern, makes constructs. Multiple hands to catch falling buildings, and I still don't get why they limited Jon Stewart so much early on in Justice League. I mean, it worked I, here, I, you know. Well, but I still think it's because showing his personality yeah, I mean, it, it works if you say it that way, but it's really, I mean, they've said it's really because they thought, well, maybe it's too silly for him to make stuff out of it. And then the fans complain, they're like, yeah, you know, it is fun, Let, let's just do it. And then they started loosening I up I like thinking it. it's a reflection of his personality. Okay, okay. Superman wields <laughs> a ship's hull back together, just like in Superman 3 and in Superman the Animated Series, Speed Demons with the Flash. So I thought that was a nice little bit. That's just something Superman does. And I like the bit where Aqua Girl brings a whale under the sailors who went overboard. Yeah, that was that was cool. I mean, it's like this—they're they're floating, and then all of a sudden they're not because they're on top of this whale. So, uh, yeah, Bardis Mega Rod extends to prop up one side of the building, so that's very handy. Yeah, I mean, it's just <laughs> very extendable. Yeah, I wonder what did she? How did they fix that? You know, she come back and got it later. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, because it's stuck there for a while. Batman arrives and Superman tells him to stick with Warhawk. I love his line. Yeah, Warhawk, my good buddy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, Warhawk is strong enough to catch one of those flying freighter thingies. Is that nth metal, anti-gravity doohickeys? I mean, you know. Yeah, I, we're going with that. Yeah, because based on what we find out about him later, then yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But uh, only Warhawk gets the distress call about the missile. Uh, you know, I don't... When we find out what we find out later, I wonder why, you know... Well, we know it's Superman. Why Superman 
didn't just get everyone to respond to it and blow them all up at once. Yeah. But I, he, you know, I guess he's trying to take them down one at a time, so it doesn't seem so obvious. Uh, so how did Superman launch a, a missile? I mean, possibly a nuclear missile. I mean, without anybody noticing it, you know. It's just well, I mean, he's Superman, so he probably had the codes. Yeah, and maybe, yeah, well, and and maybe he had one stored at the fortress or something. I don't know. Yeah. That he's he took one of them from Superman for the quest for peace and just left it in the fortress for yeah, later yeah. if he needed one. <laughs> now we see Warhawk grab the missile, then his armor covers him like the cocoon on Michael Keaton's Batmobile, basically. Then he goes all silver. There's yeah. no, there's no seams. There's he looks like you know just a silver figure. We see the missile still heading toward the ground, but he turns it around. He waves at Batman, which is why would he wave at Batman? He doesn't like him. And then boom, it blows up, and his helmet embeds in the windshield of the Batmobile. That's a great bit. Yeah, because I mean it's like oh that guy's dead. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I mean honestly, watching this, I'm like okay he could be dead because. Batman Beyond has been edgier yeah. than some of the other shows, and he's a made-up future character. Right. He doesn't that, have to, you know. He doesn't have to carry on. He's not a legacy. I mean, he's a legacy character as far as Hawkman, but he's not He's not going to be any of the current continuity stuff. So I, I thought, okay, this guy's dead. Wow. Uh, when the League arrives at the scene, Aqua Girl falls to her knees, but Barter's response to Batman is, what did you do? What could he have done? I right. Mean, I mean, you know. she's Bart is really annoying in this, actually. Yeah, she is. I mean, she just, I'm, I'm glad this wasn't Wonder Woman, because if they'd done this with Wonder Woman, it would have ticked you off. Yeah. I mean, Bart has obviously got a, a, a bad temper, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's part of her character. But, I mean, she's kind of, you know, just unrealistically annoying. And, I mean, she's, I mean, she's. You can see somebody being that way, but it's like, it's not like, why are you such a pain? You know, it's like, well, what what could he possibly have done to do this? Um, they go back to the Batcave. Bruce tracks a beam blasting the missile through spectral filters and back to the source. Superman. That's a jaw. Oh, yeah. Jaw, jaw dropper right there for sure. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I love Conroy's delivery here. Uh, he's like, you know, where are you going? I have to go back. Warn them. You have to do more than that. You know, that's just yeah. like, like, whoa, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, he pushes this little button that's underneath the console of the bat computer. Right. And the the cases of the costumes of the Batman, Batgirl, Robin, Nightwing costumes open. And there's all this dust that opens. So, you know, you it's, can tell that Alfred has been gone for a while. Yeah, right. And it's never been opened. Yeah. Yeah, it's in, and he keeps the kryptonite hidden in a vault behind the costume case. And then he has to put in more stuff to get into that vault. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's, in, the security in this thing is impressive. He, his hands and full body scans, like the yeah. scanner comes out and scans his whole body. Uh, Bruce, uh, Bruce says this isn't the first time Superman went rogue. Now, at this time, that is referencing legacy. But you could also consider the Justice Lord Superman as well if you wanted to. Right. Although I'd like to think Bruce eventually realized our Superman wouldn't go down that path. But uh, Terry is shaken by what Bruce produces, and he knows what it is. I yeah. mean, he says, uh, you know, kryptonite. Uh, we'll share our thoughts on Superman Gone Bad for Part 2, but Bruce's final lines, yeah. yeah. Oof. Uh, <laughs> We're going to take a quick promo break, then we'll be back for part two. Hey, Sean, do you want to go over the checklist to make sure we are ready for the next phase of the Batman family reunion? Sure thing, Paul. Robin and Batgirl in team-up action? Check. Fried chicken? Check. Man-Bat fighting a were-jaguar? Check. Deviled eggs? Check. 
Potato salad? Check. Without the raisins? Of course. The Huntress fighting Catwoman and Poison Ivy? Check. Lemonade? Check. Alfred and Commissioner Gordon keeping a secret from Bruce Wayne? Check and check. Reprints or all new stories? New stories and reprints until issue 10, and then nothing but brand new stories from there on out. Giant size issues? A mere giant size until issue 16, and then dollar comics from issues 17 to 20 through the end of the run in Detective. Guest list? Absolutely. We are having a number of bat relatives visit the reunion, so listen in for your favorite bat cousin. All right, great. Then we're all ready for the Batman Family Reunion Podcast, where we talk about Batman Family, the great comic book from the 70s and 80s. We'll discuss not only the stories, but also the text pages and ads, and we'll also find out what the Batman family was doing on the newsstands that month. And since this is a reunion, we're inviting all of you, the Bat Kinfolk, to listen in and to be part of the show. Look for the Batman Family Reunion Podcast on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Okay, we're back from our break, so now on to part two of The Call. So, part two. Barter refuses to believe the evidence Batman brings before the League, but Warhawk, who only pretended to perish, returns and confirms that Superman is their traitor. The League catch Superman tampering with Micron's back-to-tank, and in response, the real culprit reveals itself. A starfish-like parasite creature who has taken over Superman's mind. He escapes, but thanks to Bruce Wayne, the League learn the location of the Fortress of Solitude and follow him. Batman is able to subdue him with kryptonite long enough for Aquarill to use her telepathy and read the mind of the alien creature. She learns that it was part of Superman's intergalactic zoo rescued from the villainous Preserver, who sought to add Superman to its collection years ago. Seeing Superman's power, the creature waited years until it had the opportunity to leap on the Man of Steel and possess him. With Superman's help, it spawned thousands of offspring, with plans to take over the minds and bodies of all the living organisms on Earth. The rest of the League are taken over by the starfish spawn, leaving only Batman free. He evades Superman until he's able to use the Batmobile's grapple to latch onto the creature and shock it off of him. Superman and Batman manage to free the others and stop the Legion of Starfish from heading out of the fortress into the waiting ocean. Green Lantern collects all the starfish, and Aquagirl uses her telepathy and Barda's mother box to locate their home world, where the League deposits them via Boomtoon. Superman congratulates Batman and offers him membership in the League. Terry declines full-time membership just as Bruce had. Superman comments that the two Batman are more alike than they think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so back to the beginning of this. I understand I understand Barda not quite trusting Batman, but I totally think Terry was justified in calling her pig-headed. Yeah. <laughs> of course, he got a punch to the face for it, but still. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Green Lantern has to subdue her from pulverizing him. So... Uh, then Warhawk walks in, say what? I know. You're like, oh, he's not dead. <laughs> he says, I wasn't in the armor. I was operating it by remote. That's the only reason I'm not dust right now. Okay, I know this is a cartoon, but rewatching part one, there is no time for him to slip out of that armor or use the second backup armor, which I assume he has because he's wearing his suit right here. Right. Um, this is one of the sloppier aha moments in all of the DCAU. Bruce Tim will even cop to it, calling it a total cheat. Which yeah. he says in the special features. So yeah, it, it's it is a total cheat. Uh, maybe it's an homage to the old movie serials. Uh, we can put it that way. You know? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Warhawk is planning on ripping Superman's arms off. That's very specific, and good luck doing that because uh, it's Superman. But uh, the leak catch Superman tampering with Micron's tank. That's some cold blooded stuff. You know, pulling, pulling the, the plug. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. Yeah. Uh, Barter refers to Superman as Cal throughout these episodes. Since he didn't share the location of the fortress with this team, 
Maybe they don't know he's Clark Kent, or is he still Clark Kent? See, that's the thing. I wonder if he didn't, you know, when Lois came to the end of her life, did he, you know, just let that go? Well, it's kind of funny that you mention that because Tim pitched the idea of showing Superman caring for an elderly Lois Lane, but Burnett, Deanie, and Murakami vetoed the idea. Oh. So, yeah, I guess Lois was going to be like like an 80-year-old an invalid, yeah. and Superman was taking care of her or something. Now, I think in the Superman Beyond comics that they did later, he had another identity. I think he was like a firefighter or something. I think his name was like... I think they went with something like similar to Kal-El or something, right. like Calvin Ellis or something. like. I don't know. I don't think it was that, but it was something. I, I can't remember. Andrew had some of those books. I can't remember what they were exactly. Barter and Aquagirl approach Superman offering their help, and then an eye rips through the chest of his uniform. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> Any comic fan who saw the eye knew, oh, yeah. knew what was going on. It was a great shock moment, very alien-like, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but um, you know, yeah, but it's it's quite a shocker. Of course, the fight breaks out. Superman punches Warhawk, and he doesn't die. So I assume part of him may be holding back. Uh, either way, he grabs Warhawk and uses him as a shield from Barda's blast. So maybe not. Uh, in the melee. Batman drops the cartridge with the kryptonite in it down a vent. It reminds me of the film Silver Bullet. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I totally see that. Yeah. Uh, Superman looks at Batman and says, the one person I thought I could trust. So is this the real Superman talking? Is he deluded into what's going on? He called all the leaguers traitors like he meant it. I'm kind of confused as to just what his mental state is. Right. And we'll get to that as we go on. It's, it is a little confusing. Micron wakes up and biggins and grabs Superman, but I guess Starro uses some power he has to grow spikes with which puncture his hand. I know. I didn't know that was ever a power that he had. Me neither. And certainly not Superman. Maybe it's a defense built into Superman's new suit. Maybe it's like, you know, Super Cellophane S in Superman 2. I don't know. But, but he's Superman, so why would he need it? I, I, that is a weird moment that doesn't make any sense. Uh, Batman retrieves the kryptonite, but he never gets to use it here as Barta blasts Superman out of the watchtower and he flies off. Batman tells Bruce he hesitated because the guy's the greatest hero who ever lived. Um, one of the greatest. Which I yeah, I know. <laughs> like, um... But I don't think he really had much chance, honestly, unless he just whipped it out on him when they were talking to him. Right. Which would have probably worked best, but you know. Batman tells him he knows someone who knows the location of the fortress. We see Batman and Wonder Woman visit the fortress in For the Man Who Has Everything. Of course, that episode didn't exist then, but it all matches up nicely now. Yeah. If Wonder Woman had been there, she if she didn't know where the fortress was in this moment, that would have been a, a continuity gaffe. Yeah. You know, retroactively. Um, <laughs> the League uses Barda's boom tube to enter the fortress, and Terry doesn't care for it, just like Bruce did, didn't in Twilight. Right. So, Batman do not like boom tubes. Uh, they find one of the environments open in Superman's intergalactic zoo, and there's a gag where Batman thinks he finds food. Green Lantern points out it used to be. <laughs> and he's like, ugh. <laughs> pellets of poo. These little pellets, yes. Uh, Superman sends some of his robots after them. One head, One's head launches out once they, like, you know, knock it down, much like the Justice Lord Superman robot in A Better Tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nice line when the real Superman yanks Batman's rope, pulls him to the ground, and says, You are green. And Terry's response, Join the club. Then he whips the kryptonite out on him. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, I like that. That was good, yeah. Uh, Warhawk says, Good work, kid. Now finish him off. Uh, okay, you 
now you know Superman isn't in control, but you still just want to kill, kill him. him. I know. I mean, these guys are the Justice League. Thankfully, Aqua Girl isn't bloodthirsty and is the voice of reason here. So, uh, Barter and Green Lantern don't recognize the starfish creature, but Green Lantern says it's embedded itself in Superman's skin. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's call a spade a spade. This is Starro. Yes. They never name it, but it's clearly meant to be oh, yeah, the Justice sure. League's first foe from their first appearance in Brave and the Bold number 28 in 1959. Which you all got me the Funko, um, the little ones, for my Christmas from the kids. Yeah, it's the cover of Brave and the Bold yeah, 28. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because it's got Wonder Woman on it. And you wanted yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Astaro was actually fairly obscure back then, having been relegated to the sillier aspects of DC lore by some, but Grant Morrison reimagined him as the star conqueror during his JLA run and gave him some cred. And, of course, now he's a movie star. Yeah. Well, he was the main villain in a movie that was good and critically plotted, but didn't make that much money. But still, he's been in movies. Yeah. So, so, so. Uh, Girl goes all Spock and mind melds with it. Uh, I wonder if she could do it if, if it wasn't aquatic. I don't think so. I think that was the, you know. You think that's why? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, that's, that's, that's she's like the, you know, the Horda. You know, the Starro's like the Horda here, basically. Uh, although, you know, it's got a little more, you know, it's 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 not trying to defend its kids. It really doesn't want to take over the world. Uh, then we get the flashback and a callback to the Superman the Animated Series episode, The Main Man, Parts 1 and 2. These episodes are most famous for introducing Lobo, uh, but they also introduced the Preserver. <laughs> And his zoo of specimens from dead species. I assume Starro here was, uh, at the time, the last of his kind. And we do see Starro in that episode. It was a little Easter egg. Oh, there's Starro. Yeah. And Paul Dini, I think it was Paul Dini that decided to run with this. Uh, we do get to see the classic costume Superman in the flashback. As Andrew pointed out, it would have been neat to see some of his robots in the old look. You know, just to visually, just to right. throw things off. Aqua Girl says it's been on him for years. Uh, that line here is quite controversial. Most fans would rather think Superman wasn't a puppet of this thing longer than a handful of weeks at most, but the show tells us different. Bruce Tim later regretted defining it like that. At least we saw he was in this beyond look with the white temples and the white and black suit. Not classic Superman, so it was probably just a few years. But and there, still, there's yeah. this, You can find this on YouTube if you don't have the DVD set. There's a, a close-up on... Uh, on these episodes with uh, Bruce Tim, Will Friedle, Paul Dini, and the director Butch Lukic. But there's this this great uh, special feature um, where they're discussing these episodes, and Bruce Tim talks about how he regrets that line, and he says, you know, and we had him in the classic Superman uniform. So how long did you know did he was he possessed? And and Will Friedle's like, no, no, he was in the black and white. He's like, no, Tim's like, no, no, he was in the red and blue. And he's like, well, we're gonna have to look that later and see. And then they show a clip, and it's like black and white suit when they sh- they show the scene again they didn't they didn't look at it while they were there right but Will Friedle was right he wasn't in the classic Superman suit so it wasn't like back during Justice League time that right. this happened thank God you know because some people you know because Bruce Tim was acting like it might have been but it, it couldn't have been so you know yeah uh, they find all the little star rows and Aqua Rule says he was using Superman to help him cultivate these things if he was the last of his species how did they have Superman have cloning tech from Cadmus or? Well, you know, with starfish, they can regrow their limbs and stuff. So maybe just cut the original Starro up and he made multiple Starros. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Barbara is about to boom tube them somewhere, and then they attack, grafting onto the League's faces. 
Now, how do they manage to get through Green Lantern's energy field? Uh, exactly, because he used it to block them before. Yeah, I mean, he's glowing green. It's not like he's just... if That was a mistake of them having him glow green at that moment. Yeah. Because that shouldn't have got through. Yeah. We then get the classic Starro-faced Justice Leaguers. One of the coolest comic covers I ever saw as a kid was Justice League of America number 190 by Brian Ballin with the League's faces all covered by starfish. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, possessed Barda grabs the kryptonite and throws it through the fortress roof. I wonder if anyone ever found that. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm not sure where that chunk of kryptonite came from because Batman had a chunk early on in the world's finest three-parter, but I believe it was destroyed by acid or something. Right. So, so. and now that jade dragon that it was that was where the, there, was yeah. the kryptonite came from was shattered later. So maybe one of those shards is what this is. Yeah, because it's a little piece. It's a little tiny piece, yeah. And it looks like a shard. Yeah. It's not like a chunk or something. Batman flees. Bruce sends the Batmobile and Terry and tells Terry, I never did like those boom tubes. Uh, that's a great callback to a moment that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. <laughs> Which they had no idea they'd ever do. Uh, Bruce tells Terry all he can do about the Starros and possessed leaguers is for Barbara, Barbara to call in the military. Uh, Barbara Gordon is police commissioner of Gotham City in this series and a sometimes uneasy ally to Bruce and Terry. Right. Uh, you know, so, but yeah, Barbara, that's, that was her fate revealed on this show. Uh, Terry is concerned about them bombing the place. Bruce just says, that's their job. It's odd that Terry is more concerned. Maybe old grizzled Bruce is just much more pragmatic. Yeah. Than, you know, now. Best line exchange in this show. What's the top speed on this thing? Mach 3. Is that faster than a speeding bullet? I love that. That's awesome. (laughs) Then we get the moment Tim was building towards during the early development of the story, Superman versus Batman Beyond. Superman is frightening in a standing... Standing position. Yes, flying in a standing position. Starro on his spare chest, flying after the fling Batmobile with a dark and twisted version of the Superman animated series theme playing. Playing, yeah, that's just woo. Yeah, woo, yeah. (laughs) Superman rips one hole wing side. Yeah, after he uh, he takes his heat vision and cuts it off and then rips it off. Yeah. And I'm like, woof. Yeah, they, they must have built a new one. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Superman says, come, be part of us. Sooner will be our world. That's actually Starro talking. And I like that clarification that Superman isn't home right now. Then Batman uses the electrified grapple in the Batmobile to latch onto Starro and fry him. Uh, so electricity is not evil in this one. No, it's yeah. saving. It's saving, yes. It's good. We see inside Superman's mind, and he's trapped in Starro's tentacles, asleep. He wakes up, and in the real world, rips him off his chest. Now, this is interesting. Superman wakes up and asks what's going on. He doesn't seem to remember, and he doesn't understand why the starfish is out of the, out in the open Arctic, out of, his, out of the zoo. Uh-huh. But he doesn't seem freaked out by this new, younger Batman. So, did he get possessed after Terry became Batman and he was already aware of him before he was possessed? Or has he been aware of what's going on in his own mind except when Starro, like, took complete control of him? What do you think? I don't know. I was wondering that, too. And But, you know, that would actually help with the theory that, you know, instead of years, it had been, you know, a short amount of time. 
Right. Well, even if I don't know how long Terry is supposed to have been Batman at this point. I mean, we're in season three. So well, that's true. That's he may true. have been Batman for at least a year or so. I don't. I don't really know how the time. You know, it doesn't seem to be. I don't know if Terry's in a different grade in high school than he was when it started, or they even really said. But yeah, um, yeah. It's just we'll get into that more later. I just that the whole of idea of how much Superman was in, was Superman ever in control before right. he was taken off of him is is something to really think about. Uh, Superman walks into the fortress, Batman over his shoulder, covering where Starro should be. Uh-huh. But Green Lantern picks up on something being wrong. The and, controlled Green Lantern, so yeah, the controlled Green Lantern. Yeah, they're all the rest of them all still got starfish on their face. And uh, Superman and Batman attack. Superman uses heat vision on the Starros on Green Lantern and eventually Warhawk. Batman frees Barda with an electric batarang yep. to the face. But Aqua Girl, almost said Hot Girl, but Aqua Girl escapes to go open the door, blocking the Starros from releasing into the ocean. The scene with them diving and all the Starros following them reminds me of the scene with the trench in the Aquaman film. Oh, true, yeah. Yeah, and then the Starros cover Batman from head to toe. I know. It's like, ugh, yeah. <laughs> Superman sees what's going on and throws huge chunks of ice down to block the gate. Barda says, but Batman's down there, and Superman's response isn't... No, it is not. What's he say? He knew what he was getting into. Not very Superman-like. No. Yeah. I'm like, I, his his whole thing is he's trying to save everybody. Yeah, I could see this working much better if Barda started throwing the chunks in there. It redeems her a bit that she's not so harsh, but it makes Superman seem like a real jerk and out of character. Yes. Yeah. And he didn't know what he was getting into, because you forced him on the league while you were possessed by this starfish thing. Yeah. So how could he have known what he was getting into? Uh, Batman electrifies the Starros on him, fights with Aqua Girl, but the two get crushed under some large ice boulders. Somehow Batman is able to lift these. Is the bat suit that strong? <laughs> and flies them out in between the falling debris. Uh, Superman is far more compassionate when Barda suggests boom tubing the Starros to the sun. These creatures didn't ask to come here. We have no right to kill them. Now that is Superman. Warhawk even says, back to his old self again. Yeah. So it's like, well, was he still a little possessed or coming out of the fog before? I mean, it's just... <laughs> Aqua Girl reads the original Starro's mind, sees their planet, and uses the mother box to send them home. Superman actually helped repopulate this species. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe he ought to figure out how he did that with the other creatures and send those species home, too. Yeah, if, the, if there's a... World from the go-to. Yeah. Yeah. Or a similar world. Uh, then the League pitches Batman on joining full-time. Barda says it will put him one-up on the original Batman, who never made it past part-time. This actually jives with Batman's official League status right. on Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. Although he never considered himself full-time, it was in probably more episodes than anyone except maybe Superman, pulled monitor duty, and sat on the original League member council after they went JLU. Right. So Batman's like, I'm not really an official full time member. That yeah, you are, dude. You just don't want. It. He doesn't want to pay. Bruce Wayne is he's he's just like one of those one percenters. He doesn't want to pay the membership fees. Yeah, that's, that's what it exactly is. what it is. Yeah. It's like <laughs> it's never stated, but it looks like Terry decides to stay part time. He doesn't really say one way or the other, but you, you know you can, you infer that he doesn't. The series only had five more episodes left, and the league never came back on Batman Beyond. But we'll see Terry as part of this league in future episodes of Justice League Unlimited. Right. Uh, But that final line, Superman says Bruce wasn't much of a joiner, and Terry responds, yeah, maybe he and I have something in common after all. And Superman says, more than you think, son. More than you think. So, 
Is Superman just referencing that he and Bruce have similar strength of character and that Terry reminds him of Bruce? Or does Superman somehow know that Terry is Bruce's biological son as revealed in the Justice League Unlimited season two finale epilogue? Oh yeah, spoiler. Yeah, spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming most people know that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, like we were talking about, I read the situation either way. Yeah. Because you would think that, you know, especially if Superman has been out of it for a while, he probably scanned Terry head to toe trying to figure out and he'd be like, oh, hey, you know. Yeah. Maybe. maybe. Uh, both are possible because Tim and Glenn Murakimi had tossed around the idea of another direct-to-video movie while Return of the Joker was still in production. The idea was to bring in the genetic connection between Bruce and Terry there. The other producers didn't really care for the idea, and the movie never got past the, the this stage of, of just initial pre-production due to Return of the Joker not selling as well ex, as expected, possibly due to all the controversy over its dark tone and the cuts it went under before release, blah, blah, blah. But that never happened. And then Tim later incorporated the idea into the episode of JLU when they thought the DCAU was going to effectively end with that episode. Right. And they weren't getting picked up for season three. So they wanted to do put a big bow on... They're DCAU, and it's like, what better way to do it than to finally do this whole Batman, yeah. Batman Beyond connection thing. But one thing that's never answered, was the real Superman peeking through, asking Terry to join to ferret out a traitor? Did Starro's influence come and go? He was actively saving people, but he was also See, firebombing the place. So You would think that Superman would have strength of care, you know, like it was pulling through some. Yeah. You know, I don't think he was completely subjugated to Starro. Well, and why, if he was completely subjugated, why did he ask Batman to join just to to just to throw the league off by throwing in a new element, and make them suspicious of him? And uh, you know, was this some kind of plot of him to break the league up by making everyone suspicious? You know, give them a target to blame in Batman. I I don't, I know. don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So what did you think of this one overall? I, I liked it. I mean, you know, showing the different characters and, you know, kind of like a, it's kind of like a big what if. Yeah. You know, to me. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being stoked about seeing Tim and company do a version of the Justice League at this point. I, I knew that at one time they considered doing a league show before Superman, the animated series. But even then, Tim seemed like he didn't really want to do it. Uh, the overall story holds up despite some story logic problems and some less than great animation the concept is a good one. Yes. You know? uh, now, the elephant in the room is I can't stand evil Superman stories anymore. Uh, back then, they were kind of novel, but the Injustice video game series and all the related media really soured me on it. The Snyderverse and its mistrust and potential turn of Superman to evil just doubled down on it. I'm just sick of it. Uh, we already had a mind-controlled Superman in Legacy, which was the last time we saw him before this. Those episodes had aired in February of this same year. Oh, okay. Bruce Tim has pointed out he thought the timing was bad to do another evil Superman story. But he says, you know, in the years since, you know, once we're not, they're not on top of each other, it doesn't bother him as bad. Right. But still, you know, at the original airing. Yeah. Later, of course, Hot Girl will betray the League in in her right mind. We almost got Batman betraying the League after the events of the Doomsday Sanction in Season 2, which we'll get to fairly soon. But thankfully, Tim and company decided to swerve out of this. Uh, I think you can go to that well too many times, especially with Superman. But but overall, this is one of my favorite Batman Beyond episodes, and it's one I revisit more often than others. You can sense the crew was struggling with juggling the large cast because the story logic and characterization gets a bit loose here and there. 
But it's just fun seeing all these characters together, even new ones. And Bruce Timm even said, you know, when they started Justice League, he sat down with the crew and said, okay, here's the call. And he's like, okay, here's what we don't want to do. And here's what we want to do. You know, he was basically like, you know, we don't need to pan over and see what every character's doing. We can do cuts and this and that. Right. So, you know, they... They, they they learned from this. This was like a, a, a... Justice League Season 1 was a shakedown cruise to a point, but this is a shakedown cruise for the shakedown cruise. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> DC Comics would bring this version of Superman and the Justice League into the comics through digital first series like Superman Beyond, Justice League Beyond, and in print in Batman Beyond Unlimited in the early 2010s. Though this version still has its has legs. Yes. So, you know, this is the last we see of these. We will see these characters again on... Justice League Unlimited, as we said. And some we'll see next episode. Hey, this is Chris Cunningham. I realized, uh, forgot to mention what I was going to say about HBO Max, in case you guys didn't know. Uh, HBO Max is going to uh, drop Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, as well as Batman the Brave and the Bold in the 60s Filmation Aquaman series from uh, their lineup at the end of January. So maybe by the time this is out, by the time you listen to this, It'll already be gone, so I apologize. But, uh, yeah, I'm not really sure why. I think that's a really dumb move, especially Justice League and Justice League Unlimited on their part. Um, rumor has it that James Gunn is actually going to use JLU as a template for the DC uh, Universe movies going forward. I don't know if any of that's true, but that's the, that's the rumor. Either way, it's, it's you know a huge version that's still very popular uh, of the Justice League. And uh, in the DC universe in general, maybe it's going to a different streaming platform and Warner Brothers is going to make more money off it that way. I have no idea, but just thought to give you a heads up. If you've been enjoying it there, I'm sorry, but it's leaving. So you might have to go back to, um, you know, physical media to watch it. Uh, it sucks, uh, but, um, you know, hope it'll pop up somewhere else. But either way, we'll still keep covering Justice League. We don't care if they show it or not. Oh, and I guess, in you know, kind of in the same vein, the news that's coming out of the chaos that is Warner Brothers. Uh, there was apparently a Batman Beyond movie in the works that the Michael Keaton's appearances in the other films as Batman was leading toward a actual Batman Beyond film that is now apparently not going to happen. The writer of the movie that was fortunately the same person that was also writing the Batgirl movie that was actually filmed and didn't isn't never going to be released officially uh, confirmed that she was working on a Batman Beyond film. So. Yeah, so we got robbed of that, too. So, <laughs> yay! Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For information on how you can support the Fire & Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Extra special thanks to Jorge Luis Castillo, Matt Ryan, Neil Whitney, Jeff Owens of the Classic Horrors Club Podcast, David Capoon, and Rocket Dan Johnson, who specifically support VLUcast. Dan, I think we've forgotten to include your name on the last several episodes, and we deeply apologize. I'm sorry about that. I, I don't, you know, I am not the world's best at keeping up with, with uh, Excel spreadsheets, so I'm really sorry. Uh, because of this, we're going to let you skip monitor duty and let the others handle it. So There yeah. you go. Yeah, there you go. Especially if you have to deal with Warhawk and Barda, good luck. So <laughs> Next episode, we'll finally be covering the two-part season finale of Justice League Unlimited Season 1, The Once and Future Thing, Parts 1, Weird Western Tales, and Part 2, Time Warped. Yes. See you then. JLU Cast is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises worldwide and is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders 
and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue mommy and daddy. Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at firewaterpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for JLUcast and FW Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FWPodcast. Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to JLUcast. Well, kid, I gotta admit, I was wrong about you. An understatement. You saved the world. Think you can get used to it? You're saying you want me with you full time? We could really use you. I don't know. You guys play awfully rough. Come on. It'll put you one up on the old Batman. He never made it past part-timer. Yeah. He wasn't what you'd call a joiner. Maybe he and I have something in common after all. More than you think, son. More than you think.